Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulebi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 15 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello, once again, a good day to you all listening to Usha to Levi podcast. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen, and my guest today is a skier who is a two-time champion. He has 12 individual states wins, uh, countless podium places. He's definitely one of the greatest long-distance skiers in the world. And his name is Andreas Nigord from Team Rack the Charge. Good to have you on our show, Andreas. How is uh, how's your summer been so far? Hello. Yeah, my summer right now is quite good. I'm back up in uh, Alta, where my dad lives, and where I spend a lot of time in the build-up to every season, I guess. Even though I'm living in Tromsø, so my my girlfriend is also studying here in uh, in Alta. So right now it's. It's a bit cloudy, not the best summer weather so far in July. Uh, just arrived from an easy easy roller ski session and uh, later on we're going for a bike, uh, the family, with a sleepover on a cabin in the mountains. Well, that sounds interesting. So you just take your bikes and uh, some food and you just sleep over, as you said. Yeah, it's actually like this, they call it Fjellstue in Norway. So we bike about 20k on Finnmarksvida and then we can sleep over there and they have beds and uh, dinner and uh, sauna and jacuzzi. Like not the top, top standard, but really, really cozy. So yeah, I guess it would be nice. You mentioned Alta, isn't that where we have Peter Eliasen? At least used to live. I, I think still lives. Correct. Yeah, he lives uh, right uh, on the other side of the city. So he is actually working as physiotherapist in the in Alta for the moment. I maybe just start working on Monday. I think. Has After he something. been training at all? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't think he has been training that much, but. Uh, people say that he's uh, using his roller skis sometimes to work, but uh, I would guess he, he's more like a recreational skier now, but uh, we will see. But he was your training partner uh, quite a lot. You guys did a lot of uh, training sessions together and also the treadmill tests and things like that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, how does it feel when you don't have someone like him you know, supporting you anymore? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Me and Petra, we had a really good training uh, environment here in Alta. And uh, Petra is a great guy, both in the training clothes and on the, and without. And uh, he has won every race in the book and been a champion many, many times. So it's a big advantage for me up, uh, to try to keep up with him and try to learn from him and uh, so forth. And uh, yeah. Can there's not that many guys here up in the north uh, training for the long distances, but uh, there's always someone to train with, and I. And even though if there's not 
anyone to train with. I, <laughs> I, I have no problem going alone. It's quite nice that also. Let's talk about Alta a little bit and, and then uh, Northern Norway, uh, where you guys live and train. Uh, tell me a little bit more about it. I mean, of course, I've been there. We have a race up there, Reistelöpe, kind of close there. Uh, but training-wise, and also to live. I've been living in Tromsø for the last 10 years. So Alta is uh, actually a five-hour drive from Tromsø. So a little bit, not so much north, but straight to the east and uh, Tromsø is a little bit different you have more high mountains and more out on the coast a little bit colder in the summer and a little bit warmer in the winter than Alta which is really warm in the summer and cold in the winter and not so much wind I would say the climate uh, in Alta is better for skiing than in Tromsø and the training conditions in Alta is also better than in Tromsø. Not that many cars on the roads and great running and great uh, roller ski track. And we have access as much as we want. Yeah, to a roller, big roller ski mill and uh, yeah, you have everything you need to, to do the work for the winters. So Tromsø, where you live, is known as a place that never really gets that cold uh, in a in a winter time and it's a beautiful city yeah you're right uh Trums is a beautiful place and with the university there that's the main reason for me to why for why i'm living in in Trums and uh, i also guess now almost every skier with any ambitions live there also so it's a great environment for uh, for training and uh yeah, and it never gets really cold there because it's like it's on the coast somehow. So it in the summer it doesn't get really hot. That's a bad thing, I guess. And in the winter it doesn't get that cold. But uh, usually a lot, a lot of snow because it's just on the west side of the Lingen Alps. So I guess a lot of the the rain comes down and snow there and uh, yeah we have great skiing from usually from november to yeah at least throughout may so yeah it's good for skiing so next we'll talk about uh, your training and the last season and then eventually about you you just told us about uh, Tromsø where you live and and so forth but next let's go and talk about your last season What really amazes me is that last season, it started out really well for you, that infamous <laughs> La Diagonela race. You were second, and uh, then we know what happened. You got those frostbites. It was really cold there, and then it took you a long time to return, and then towards the end of the season, you won. You were second again, and then you won uh, the last race. But you stayed positive. When I talked to you, uh, you were like... Yeah, this just happened. I mean, it was partially my fault. And you were like so optimistic. You didn't succumb to this depression or feeling blue. You just kept going. Is that <laughs> like a mentality or you were you just showing us a different side or what was going on with you? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just the way I am. Like a little bit happy-go-lucky or what's the the saying? So, ah. 
the frostbites was a big failure from my side and uh, yeah i think i would uh, have a really really good season if uh, i would have avoided them uh, the training had uh, gone really really well the last months up to the the season and then my fingers went dead in La Diagonella, which was my fault. So, yeah, it was quite a bummer. But uh, I guess I have been lucky the last years and have been able to win a lot of races and some big races also. So you just have to take it with a smile and, yeah, make the best out of it, even though I had to admit that to... To miss Marcelonga and miss, uh, I would also say, Vasilope because I I wasn't fully recovered then and yeah and uh, then the whole season with the yellow bib also was was nowhere to to fight for so yeah uh, sometimes bad things happen but uh, at least I'm feeling almost hundred percent now so I'm looking forward for the next one. So when you were lying on the hospital bed, uh, so you pretty quickly came in terms with that fact that this is it now. I mean, I have to change my plans and focus on uh, on the last part of the season. Yeah, um, actually, I the Sunday after I was uh, put in hospital and I stayed in the hospital from Sunday to Friday. Uh, but I remember the first days there, I was still like, ah, yeah, maybe maybe Toblock is a little bit too soon, but at least I will get to do Marcelonga. But uh, it, it quickly turned out not to be the case, and I had to, had to focus on just to recover with the fingers because, yeah, they were really, really bad uh, injured, and it took quite a while before I could train uh, especially with some intensity so yeah so you didn't feel anything when you were racing or were they so focused and the adrenaline was pumping that you didn't realize that uh, uh, this was happening to you that your fingers and I assume that you had really like a really thin gloves and you spilled some some uh, sports drink on them as well correct yeah, not correct with the sports drink, but yeah, thin, th- thin gloves. So uh, yeah, I could feel I was getting really, really cold. But I have been cold many times, and uh, sometimes you think that yeah, maybe you should do something about it. But when but when you're in a race, you just go really hard and focus on the race, and it usually turns out to fix itself when you get some warm clothes in the finish line but yeah I was I was feeling my fingers and my toes uh, getting more and more yeah to the point where something bad is going to happen but and my core temperature also dropped uh, quite a bit because I was shivering quite a much down back from summer dawn but still i never thought it could be that bad because i have been cold many many times and yeah it go goes away after some painful minutes in the car or in the shower but this time it just it just was too bad 
Yeah, tell me about it. I think we all have experienced that, you know, the kind of the coldness. And, and usually, as you said, it just goes away. But in your case, and not just yours, but there were other uh, athletes as well who suffered really severely, you know, from those frostbites. But then when you started to recover, let's talk about that a little bit, because recovery from a overtraining is very different from your <laughs> from your recovery. What did you do? And, and I, I assume you couldn't really go out much. You had to uh, train inside. Yeah, uh, in the beginning, I could start to walk easy on the treadmill inside. Then I could start running on a treadmill. And yeah, after some weeks, I could start to use my hands and on the ski erg and on the roller ski mill. But uh, yeah, not the big problem, but. The thing was when I was turning up the intensity, even though I would have gloves inside and a lot of clothes on me and was boiling inside and really, really hot, my some of the fingers turned blue and got really cold because of because of the intensity. Because when you train real hard, the, the body and the heart doesn't feel the need to to fuel the fingertips and um, and the toes with uh, with blood you, they just contract them and send the blood to the working muscles in the thighs and the back and the chest and the lungs and the and the things that you are using to push yourself forward so the fingers especially those on my right hand they turned really really cold and got blue whenever i was trying to to increase the intensity and no one could act, could uh, tell me when it was going to to be normal so that was leaving me with a question mark when uh, i was going to be able to to do some competition again so at those moments were you ever losing your faith were you ever like uncertain about your comeback mm, uh, i have to admit that uh, going to Vasilop, uh, I was uh, a little bit <laughs> not afraid, but at least uncertain of how it would turn out. Because up to then, I had not been skiing any any hard outdoor, uh, and still had some issues indoor. And uh, I was prepared to. To have to, yeah, maybe jump in the car. Morgan is a little bit difficult, but at least at Mongspulbana, if the if the fingers would turn blue and cold again, and luckily they didn't. But uh, I quickly felt that uh, I had nothing to to do in this race, at least not for for fighting for the for the podium. Uh, the pace was really high, and I. Yeah, my body couldn't couldn't keep up with the pace at that moment. Uh, speaking of the race, I mean, you finished fifteenth, and but how did it then kind of when you realized that okay, but how did it then feel the race? And you mentioned it was really a fast race, record time for Torres uh, Yedal, and possibly not the best comeback race for you because the pace was so high. Uh, but then it must have given you some signals, you know, that okay, here I am, I still have a chance. Yeah, uh, every race is hard and fast, so I don't think any. It's not 
it, it wouldn't have made a much different uh, any of the other races but uh i had some really good uh sessions quite early on even some days before Vasilov on the ski erg and the roller ski uh, treadmill so i knew uh, i uh not maybe the best shape of my life but that the shape should be better than it was in Barcelona. Mm, racing a race and being indoor on the treadmill isn't always the same, especially if you don't go all out. But the signals were there, and they, yeah, I got some positive signals that my body was uh, getting back to to yeah quite good condition and uh, not so far away from the best I have ever been. So. The hopes were up for uh, yeah, Waterfjellslopp and those last races to get to get a good result. But uh, you never know. The first race in Adrianella, we had really, really good skis. So it was a little bit difficult to try to compare yourself with the other guys like Emil and uh, Vukovic and the strongest one. Because I think we had a quite a big advantage on the skis. And then I got injured and then... <laughs> Then I was back in Vasalop uh, getting destroyed. So you start doubting a little bit, and maybe you think that the level just have yeah got way better than it was before. But Oscar was doing well the whole period, and I know that from training with him that uh, it can be possible to be up there. So yeah. Let's talk about those last races. They all took place in the same area, a little bit unusual uh, due to the the pandemic. But over there, certainly, as you said, you know that you noticed the signals at Barcelona, but, but then uh, you did well. May, well, maybe the Tososen wasn't really ex- what you ex- exactly expected, but then podium places and a bit finally victory or a Feslopet. Yeah, uh, I felt quite good the first race there, uh, the one I got second in. Uh, no chance for beating Emil, which has shown once again his, his greatness. And uh, I was then getting second, and then I thought, yeah, now, now I'm back there. But uh, the day after, I was feeling quite shitty again. Uh, really bad from the gun actually and uh, it was clear that uh, my body didn't recover as fast or uh, as it used to before maybe because of yeah what it had been through the last month so didn't feel great the last week in order but managed to take it quite easy didn't uh, push the body to see or to feel how it felt when I was getting some intensity and uh, the last race went really well but uh, also to win those races you need to have the best skis and luckily we had it that day and uh, yeah it's also always a little bit strange to to win races when you don't feel you're the strongest one and uh, but that's a part of the game and unfortunately for Oscar and later you are the conditions weren't there for them to to get first and second but uh, when it came down to the last 3k i i felt really really strong and uh, yeah that's it's the feeling of 
feeling strong towards the end of a race you are uh, driving and training and pushing yourself for so I knew when it was 1k to go maybe that I would have a, at least a good chance of fighting for the victory and uh, yeah it play it turned out to be the perfect way to end uh, end a quite uh, yeah catastrophal season Let's stay in that race a little bit because it is, uh, first of all, it's the, it became the longest race in Bismarck Ski Classics history. You guys had a tough conditions. Unfortunately, I wasn't there, uh, so but I've seen the race. I was uh, racing the Red Bull Nudenschuss Loppet at the same time. Uh, but um, let's, let's go through that a little bit. Uh, first of all, to have a long race like, even longer than Barcelona, but and uh, the conditions and the, the, the course we're really now talking about a true long distance challenge yeah i think uh, you need all sorts of races uh, yeah ranging from maybe 50k to to 100k or even further in the Wisma Ski classic uh, championship and orfeldslopp uh, has an amazing uh, course profile and uh, yeah it goes through every terrain a long distance skier is supposed to be able to handle with the long steep climbs and flatter sections and yeah some up and down and yeah I really really liked the course unfortunately for the day the conditions were quite bad because it Throughout the throughout the night, uh, the temperature stayed above freezing point, so it never gotten got cold again. So, fortunately, we had some some skis that made us uh, be able to fight for the top top positions, and I think we saw quite early on that our skis were faster or at least as fast as our competitors and in this circus when you have that you have quite a big advantage you just mentioned that the course pretty much had everything and i i saw you guys resorting to uh herring boning like really slow herring boning some of the hills were that steep <laughs> there <laughs> yeah so um towards the end then uh Arilusu attacked at that point, do you? How did you feel? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that you you felt that you had a chance, but were you a bit concerned when he attacked there, or were you like confident? Ah, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna manage. Yeah, I no, you're never that confident because after ninety nine k of skiing in those conditions, uh, you never know how your body is going to react when you're going full throttle, and uh, yeah, you never have the yeah totally feeling of being invincible but uh when Ari Luso attacked her uh Anders tried to follow and I I had no problem going after and uh but still Stia was there and yeah the yeah with 500 meters to go sometimes you feel good sometimes you don't but you can be able to produce quite a good finish after all but Going side to side with Ari there with 300 meters to go, uh, I felt he was suffering a little bit more than I did, and I uh, just waited for the for those yeah maybe 200 last meters to to go all all out, and uh, 
yeah, it was a great feeling to to be in that position and to have some gas left on the tank, so I could finish the finish off the season with a win. That was uh, quite important both for me and for the for the team. And of course, that is the capacity that you are known for. This amazing sprinting ability that you have. But as you mentioned, Emil Persson pretty much showed the same same talent as you do when you were like watching him throughout the season when you were recovering what went through your mind you were like uh-huh okay God, now i really have someone out there who's pretty much like myself really fast sprinter is able to uh, when it comes to neck and neck fights is able to to win yeah emma has shown yeah i think maybe f- at least the two last seasons that his speed and sprinting abilities are maybe the best in the in the whole circus. But the the thing that has impressed me the most with Emirates is, yeah, development on the capacity side of things. Uh, him winning Marcelonga, I must admit, I didn't see that one coming. At least not this season. But if you can win Marcelonga, you can win. Uh, Almost, yeah, you can win every race on the calendar. and uh, Yeah, he is the one to beat, I think, in the next seasons. But uh, we saw in Torblok, uh, in the race there, that even Emil can lose not only for one guy, but for two guys in a sprint finish. And if you're tired enough, it doesn't matter how fast you are. If you're empty, you're empty. And... Uh, him losing to Oscar and uh, Admiral, he yeah, show just shows him that shows us and everyone that it's not all about the uh, speed. It's also about how much you have left to give. And uh, yeah, Emil uh, was really really impressing this season. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's the one to beat, I think. So now the season got maybe a little bit not let's say easier, but. Petra Eliasson suffering from overtraining and myself from the frostbites. I think we would have been up there with him, uh, at least fighting for the yellow bib, but he deserved it and winning all those races and being best from the beginning to the end shows shows his stability and that, yeah, he will be extremely hard to beat. Let's continue that train of thought, you know, let's analyze the field a little bit. I mean, you ended up in a high note winning the race, but uh, your teammate, we've been talking about him quite a lot, Oscar Cardin, performed amazingly well. Probably sur- surprised a lot of us by being so s- consistent throughout the season and being strong. And of course, the La Diagonela uh, breakaway was amazing. So he's definitely a contender. You mentioned uh, Emil. How else would you kind of, sort of, when you're looking at the field, yeah, and expecting it to be for the, for the new season? Who else? What else? Yeah, those two guys will be up there. I think Oscar being so consistent this year is just, it, we have been waiting for that moment. Oscar, when things are working and he gets to train, not suffering from any sickness or injuries, is. He's super talented and super strong and in the training camps he's, he's always 
or one of the strongest guys if you're we're running downhill uphill flat roller skiing uphill down flat hard or easy he's, he's a he's a great athlete and um that's his level when everything is normal for him. He will be fighting for the win and the podium in every race, I guess, uh, as long as he doesn't, yeah, as long as he avoids any injuries and so forth. And uh, with the concerning the other guys, I think Edmil, if he's not focusing too much on getting to uh, to the Olympics, will that be the one up there always and. We have talked about the usual suspects earlier, and um, I think, yeah, they will for sure be up there. But uh, I think we have some new guys on our team, Rug the Charge, who's been, uh, yeah, they've been looking really, really strong in um, so far in the build-up, and Yuan Hul has been on podium up. Yeah, both in race the loop and this winter as well. And I think Johan uh, Hall, not in every race, but at least in some of them, will be a guy to beat. And also, also Kasper and Karsten shows shows in everyday training that they're here to compete and that they are, uh, yeah, willing to do the work and have the talent to be up there. Uh, are, yeah. are those uh, new recruits going to race? all races next season yeah that's the plan uh, at least uh Kasper and Johan are going to yeah so I guess a lot of the same names and now with, with Martin Sundby focusing on the long distance skiing he for sure will be up there and uh, I believe he will do extremely well um, even though maybe when he crushed everyone in Birkebener, he was by far the best skier in the world in traditional skiing also, winning the overall World Cup and dominating every distance race. He's maybe on not at that level anymore, so it will be interesting to see if he will just smash everyone or if we're going to be able to keep up with him. So yeah, it's uh, it turned, I think it will be a really interesting season. Uh, you mentioned the usual suspects, uh, two names, of course, uh, your former teammate, Teresa Yedalen, Vasilopet winner, and Modnede Pedersen, new team, and also behind Pedersen, now his teammate, Ari Lusu, uh, so that those names could also be contenders. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Tord. Tord has won many champion bibs and a lot of the biggest races, and finally got the win in Vasilopet, which was... Which was well, well deserved. So he's not doing this only for fun. He's doing this for for the win, and he has shown in the past that he's not, if not the strongest, at least one of the strongest in every race. If the skis are there, and Lusua always, he had a really consistent season as well. I think he was up there in every race, at least when the skis were fast enough. So. Those two guys and Morten, who has done this now in maybe 10 years and got a really good result in the last last races in Sweden and actually was maybe the one fighting closest to Emil in the sprint finish this season, almost getting him in the last meters there. So, yeah, he is for sure one to look up for. And uh, we have some new guys doing this now and... 
yeah, Stian Hulgo changing team is quite interesting also. So, yeah, we'll see. Indeed, and see, uh, and also to see how Max Novak and those, well, he's not that uh, new anymore, but still, how well they can do. But when you look at the the brand itself, we talk about the field, uh, the racers, the skiers, you, but Visma Ski Classics, when you look back, because you've been around for quite a long time now, uh, started as a sprinter, then evolved into a champion. And last season, as you said, was a bit different due to the pandemic, still an interesting one, uh, which presented or introduced new things, races back to back, uh, long distance, the longest distance ever, and so forth, which now pretty much transferred into the kind of the future and the, the upcoming season. The changes that taken place, what's your kind of opinion about races back to back, the new features that we have, challengers, all these new things that been introduced lately yeah as you mentioned i think the product and the brand has has evolved with uh in the same speed as the level it's just gone up 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 the last 10 years and uh considering the races back to back i think uh, it's important that we don't do it every weekend and maybe in yeah with the biggest races but maybe in the beginning and in the end because we have to be honest and aware of that it's much longer Vasaloppe and Birkebeine than which is the biggest races and I think it's important like it is now that when those races are on the calendar, it's only them, and uh, we have a good build-up to those races. And uh, rest of the season, we can do a little bit more like back-to-back races, and maybe more. And uh, I think the product is going in the right direction. And uh, yeah, the the cycling aspect of it with the with the bibs and so on is is really good. And I think the focus on them and uh, yeah the prices and everything or if you're aiming for them and winning them is it's the right way to go because a lot of people can relate to cycling and uh, even though this is an individual sport we are all on the same team and it's uh, it's important for the team to to get the victory not so much who's winning and uh, yeah now, hopefully, when uh, the brand is evolving, also the the prize money and so forth are evolving. Also, the I think it's the same prices for winning races now as it was for twenty years ago. So I think maybe it's time to do something with that also. So besides that, or in addition to that, is there anything else you'd like to change or introduce any other new features? Yeah, you always, you always have ideas and uh, thoughts, but you can uh, go wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think I li- I like the product, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's going the right direction, and uh, I think it's important to try to get female skiers in into the long distances also. But we have to be aware of that. Uh, this is maybe 
a little bit challenging for some of the teams to get girls to to focus on this sport because they want to do traditional skiing as long as they can and maybe they're a little bit not afraid but concerned of going all out on just double polling and uh, we have to make the calendar suitable for those teams in the central Europe not getting too big cost for them to to do the races but uh, I think David and the whole Vismaski Classic uh, crew are doing a great job of evolving the product in the in the right direction so yeah I'm quite happy with uh, how things are now I know that you're not overly enthusiastic about the prologues and the short races and as you have said so many times that you are not usually in a good shape the early part of the season but do you feel that those type of races short races prologue kind of races have their place in the calendar yeah i think uh i think it's nice to have a little bit of everything um so <laughs> even though maybe myself uh, uh i have uh, i think like it's now it's uh, important that we don't just get like this world cup feeling with with short loops and uh short races because then so many other guys should have been on the start line because you want the best in the world on what that person is doing to be on the start line you don't want this to be like a c world cup or something like that but i think it's nice to have a prologue and maybe an individual prologue one race maybe two but it's important to to remember that this is the long distance uh, skiing at least that's what it's supposed to be but if if we want to change that that that's another thing but i think it's important to have races with some distance and um, try to not be the same thing as traditional skiing which kind of brings us to the kind of my next question is the skating. We had a skating race once, but a lot of of you guys, a lot of the athletes say that we should only stick to double polling because that's something that you guys are really strong at. This is something that you have developed. We shouldn't mix it with skating and, and so forth. For me, it's a little bit difficult because... On the one hand, I'm actually quite positive for a race like, let's say, Engadin Ski Marathon to to join the cup because it's so big with so many participants and it's a great, great race. But on the other hand, uh, you don't see runners, if you look at the running community, if you're doing the sky races, you're not suddenly competing in track and field on a 400 meter track on a stadium because that's not what you do even though it could have been nice so it's something personally i think we should focus on on double polling and the long distances and because at least to this point that's what's we are trained for and what we do every day and and what we're good at Uh, if we're going to do skating i think there's 
a lot of other races to do, but for myself, I think Engadin is a great race, but I'm not sure if it places in this Muski Classic. Next, we will talk about a double polling and the training because you guys definitely are a double polling machines. So that'll be next, your training. Speaking of double polling, we all know that that's something that you have to do constantly. A lot of double polling on roller skis and so forth. But let's talk about your training, training methods. You just mentioned that you had an easy uh, roller ski session today. But generally speaking, how much roller skiing do you do? And is it always double polling or do you do a little bit classic, maybe even skating like some athletes do? I do no skating, uh, no skating at all. Uh, at least in the summer time and yeah the fall as well but in the winter time i can go on an easy skating session just because i think it's quite nice to train and uh, skating is it's a bit fun even though i suck at it but in, uh, in the build-up to a to a season i don't skate at all uh, i do classic roller skiing and uh, yeah I double pole quite a bit but not everything I think out of if I have let's say 10 sessions I think eight of them would be with double poling purely the whole session and two of them with uh, using strides and using my yeah, traditional classic technique. So quite, yeah, not only double polling. I think it's, for me at least, I like to mix it up at some some of the days. What about uh, running and Nordic walking slash uh, running? Do you do that at all? Yeah, usually I'm quite fan of running. Uh, this year I have been struggling a little bit with running, so... I have been walking a lot with the poles in the in uphills uh, as my running training this year. But uh, usually, if I if if everything is like it's supposed to be, I run quite a bit. I do yes. So when you do roller skiing, uh, let's go through some of the sessions or workouts that you do. Do you also go or do? You, your team, do you also do this kind of pass type of thing where you have a long training and within that long session, you integrate all kinds of sprints and like intensive set parts or? Uh, uh, not, no, actually not. Uh, yeah, I don't like to mix hard training with easy training. Uh, if I'm going long, I go easy, and if I'm doing shorter training, I can do some an intensity on it. But usually, I don't do like this Vasa pass. I could go four or five hours easy, but not with the intensity in it. So, yeah, I don't mix intensity that much in my training. At least I have not done. But on the training camps, it happens uh, that we usually have three four hours with maybe one hour of intensity work 
uh, in the middle or something like that. Uh, how how come? You know, what is the reason for it? Because it seems to me that quite a lot of the other teams or athletes do that. It doesn't it doesn't suit you that well, or you just it's kind of the way you feel. Uh, it's more like the way I feel. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, low intensity training, and uh, yeah, when I uh, I think. You just have to find your your own way, and uh, I think we can see both working. And we, a lot of cyclists they do some some uh, hard efforts in the long rides, but uh, for myself, I just do like one or two intensity workouts in the week, and they usually consist of maybe forty-five to one hour of intensity and last with maybe the warm-up and the cool down one and a half to two hours that i do one or two times a week and mixing between running and double polling and besides of that i just go easy on the easy training and uh, do some sprints five ten fifteen second sprints here and there and uh, nothing nothing more more than that so those uh, interval sessions, the in- intensity sessions, do what kind of intervals do you have? I've been writing quite a lot about, about these articles or writing these articles about the uh, the trainings and how the World Cup tra- skiers and you guys, how you train. They kind of tend to follow the same pattern, but of course, each person, each athlete has his or her own sort of methods. But what, what are your, what type of intervals are there? six times five minutes or three times 10 minutes three times 20 minutes there seem to be so many variations yeah <laughs> yeah usually i try to get between as i mentioned maybe between 45 minutes uh, up to an hour of intensity and then yeah in norway we have this like intensity scale go ranging from one to five uh, so I try to be on a intensity where it's, yeah, it's hurting, but not where I got get really toxic in the body. I just, I, I go hard, but with control. So I feel that I could have gone a little bit harder and faster if I, if I needed to. So trying to stay on the right side of the lactate, the threshold uh yeah so it's hard sessions but not like competing so i just try to mix it up with some uh, some competitions here and there to get that really high intensity but when i have the the yeah interval sessions i try to try not to kill myself but if i feel really well and I feel my body is open. I tend to push a little bit, at least on the maybe the last last interval. So would that be like a zone three on that scale that you just mentioned, or maybe even four? Yeah, somewhere between three and four. Maybe I like to maybe we start at intensity three, per se two two point five millimole of lactate or 
yeah, 80-85% of maximum heart rate and uh, then I push a little bit more throughout the interval with a little bit more increasing heart rate and maybe a little bit more lactate also up to 3-4. So you do these type of sessions twice a week. You're not really using the so-called pluck system that you do many intensive trainings back to back or maybe in have endurance weeks, which also seems to be quite uh, popular among athletes or skiers. Yeah, no, I, I don't do that. I, I Usually in a month I have between maybe six, seven, eight intervals. So some weeks I can have two and sometimes one and sometimes none and maybe up to three if we... On the, the training camps tend to have three interval sessions. So then the following week I maybe have no one. But no, I'll, I, uh, I'm i not a fan of the block system. Mm, I like to have some time between the, between the harder sessions. Since you mentioned that you like easy paced long workouts and your teammate uh Auckland of course and as Auckland we had a really nice podcast with him um likes to do these extremes sometimes really I mean like 700k and so forth but um are you uh, or do you like those type of extremely long I'm not talking about 700k but you know over 100k 120k maybe something like that in roller skis or do you always kind of keep it in four or five hours yeah I think I'm I'm quite a fan of longer distances but uh, they tend to wear me out a bit so I try not to have them too often but usually through the build up to a new season, maybe I have have a session of one hundred and fifty to two hundred K and yeah, sometimes hundred K also, but not too often. I think for me if I get a session of three or four hours uh, every week and maybe once a month I have a longer one I think that's in that's enough for me I I tend to be quite good at the longer distances and uh, the problem for me is never my arms or the strength or the muscular system I think it's more the aerobic capacity so I'm looking more towards how to increase my capacity and uh, trying to stay in the green as long as I can not turning red when going fast in a race so yeah along, I like the long distance both in training and in the competition so but I think it's important not to do it too often so when you do roller ski workouts do you change the wheels or do you always use the same and if so what wheels yeah, usually I like to. We have play. We have used quite much Swix skis. So, if it's warm and quite nice conditions, I like to use E three or like it's like Ski Go Four, I think. But 
uh, if the, it's rainy and cold outside, I tend to use like more D2 or like Sveno 3 or IDT3 for those using those skis. So never easier than C2, IDT3, Ski Go 3 and never yeah never slower than c3 like it's so yeah so yeah tend to mix it up a bit between those what about uh strength training do you go to gym do you do circuit trainings mm -hmm. yeah uh, the last years i have the, the the strength training i have done has been in the gym mostly not so Back in the days, it was more like doing sit-ups and plank and uh, as much push-ups and hang-ups you were able to. But the last years, I've been focusing a little bit more on fewer reps with uh, some heavy weights. But I have also have had long periods without any strength training at all. So it uh, varies a bit from season to season. So since you got injured this this winter, we talked about that, and you said that you took a, took a while for you to recover. But has that changed your training anyways? You said that you are now pretty much hundred uh, percent back to normal, but you just doing the business as usual, or ha have you altered something in your training program? Um, uh, I uh, this summer has been a little bit different from the other summers because I had, had had a challenge with uh, some issues in my back so I uh, so I have done no strength training this summer not none whatsoever uh, so my plan is when the autumn comes I usually do a block of strength training in the gym just to get up to a level where I think I need to be to, yeah, not be suffering from that in the winter time. I don't think you need to be super, super strong to, to be fast or to be strong or uh, uh, good at the long distance. But I think you need to have some kind of level to to perform at least for my body i have experienced that at least i need to do like so many kilos in the hang-ups in my belt or so many kilos on the bench press or whatever or something like that so i usually just pick off the boxes and when i've done that i usually just focus on the aerobic system so the block training uh, suits you there. I mean, in the strength training, because you mentioned earlier that you are not fan fan of block training, but you just mentioned that you can do strength training. In yeah, but like, let's say now I can go uh, half a year without any strength training at all. And then let's say in September, I start to do two sessions a week of maybe one hour with four different exercises with four sets of each ranging from six to 10 reps on every, on everyone. And uh, then the strength comes quite fast and I, I get to a high level with maybe 
12 sessions and then I think I have not maxed out my potential but I think the level is high enough for me to not need to focus so much on it and then I maybe do it once a week for a period and uh, from Vasalop and out I have the last years not been training any strength training at all. It's always interesting to talk to you guys about the training and find out how you train. And as I said, you know, all of you have a little bit of a different approach to it. Uh, but we're going to lighten up the mood a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about you as a person. We're going to leave skiing a bit aside. And uh, that'll be next. Andreas, the final part of this podcast is about you you as a person but let's start from your team first we haven't really talked about your team that much change the name from the team like the iron team like the charge anything you want to say about the team right now i mean you still have again you mentioned the new guys but you still have you know the kind of the old old you know the um, same old guys behind the scenes and so forth yeah it's same same but different uh, still uh, I think it's only the name and some of the athletes that have changed uh, we still have Magnar and Jörgen as the two leading people and we have Anders <laughs> pushing 50 still on the team so never retiring <laughs> never retiring so I think it's uh, it's not that big of a difference from when I started on the team in 2015 no, 2014 I guess and uh, the guys and the girls are really really strong but uh, it throughout the years it the level of the skiers on the team has always been at least for some of them really really high and uh, I have never felt that I have been the best one actually on the team maybe on a few things but there has always been great great athletes on the team and uh, I think much of the training system is the same and uh, even though you're constantly on the on the search for for development and for new things to do and maybe better ways to do things uh, it's still the most important part is to get the job done and it doesn't matter that much what you're doing the most important thing is that you're doing it so yeah it's great to be on on the team of the Oakland's brothers they are legendary and with the Magnar also behind the wheels I think it's the best place to be if you if you want to have the biggest chance on every race to perform your best so I know you guys are shooting for greatness and you want to be the number one in the protein competition once again. But So that's about the skiing. Now, Andreas Snigord, what do you want to say about yourself? How would you, if someone was to ask you to define or describe yourself, I know it's always tough to do that when you put on the spotlight, but how would, it, how would you describe yourself? What kind of a guy are you really? <laughs> yeah... At least in English, it's quite difficult. But yeah, no, I think I'm quite 
an optimistic person uh, and I love to to be physical and I I think I'm a sports idiot I like every sport in the book at least that's what my girlfriend says <laughs> and uh, yeah I'm quite addicted to to every aspect of the training life and I also tend to like the nature and going outdoors being outdoors growing up being a lot of outdoors and uh, yeah I'm uh, quite a big guy at least in the (laughs) at least in the yeah sports like running and cycling and skiing where people tend to be a little bit smaller and lighter than me but yeah i love to train but i also like to go fishing and hunting and do other things but uh, i love to train and i love everything about sports so i think uh, that's (laughs) a little bit of of who i am so is there anything that you like that uh doesn't require being outdoors or physical activity, for example, reading, writing, watching movies, listening to music, something something easy. <laughs> yeah, I like to chill, but uh, I don't remember. So the, the memories are made for me outdoors, I think. The best memories in my life, if I look back from, yeah, if I'm... I don't re I don't remember so much of being indoors from my from five six seven years of age. I think in my life at least the memories are made outdoors and with using your body a little bit. So I like to read, but I don't read as much as I would like. I read some. So I have some studying to do, so I tend to read. School books when I'm reading, and yeah, I do look at some series on Netflix or something like that. But uh, I think I could have lived quite well without television or without being able to watch things on Netflix. That's quite interesting. Uh, being said that, how do you feel about the new generation that is completely addicted to? social media, games, uh, you know, the kind of the hoopla that's going on because you're an outdoor person. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad I grew up without the social medias. Uh, and I'm really, really glad I don't have a 12, 13-year-old daughter in the house growing up now because it seems to be quite challenging. I think... Uh, I think that... <laughs> Uh, roaming up these days are a little bit different than it was before and I think it was a little bit easier let's say before than now and uh, even though the social medias have some good aspects with it and it's nice to follow people from yeah let's say other sports and from other parts in the world and maybe learn from them and yeah the the world is getting smaller i think there are some challenges and some things you need to be really aware of before going into it so yeah 
not super super enthusiastic about how how life is developing for for the world but at least i can live as i want to do and i think there's a lot of people who's yeah taking uh, uh or at least has another view on things since we touch upon the issue of family uh, is that something that you have in your game plan uh i don't have any <laughs> game plans considering uh, any child uh, really soon we have a chihuahua in the <laughs> family me and my girlfriend and uh, up to this point i think that's your uh, baby that's enough <laughs> yeah that's our baby right now even though she's she's getting older she's six years old and so yeah i don't we but uh yeah i have now i'm 30 and but my girlfriend luckily is a little bit younger than me and she's still in school so i don't think there will be any kids really really soon tell us about her you keep mentioning her quite a lot so um yes she is uh originally from buddha but uh, she moved to tromsø for studying and that's how we met and uh, actually on sunday it's four years <laughs> since we met uh, or not when we met but we have been together for four years now on Sunday so yeah she's been there quite a while now and uh, it's been through both ups and downs and even though she's not a maniac about skiing and training and so forth as maybe my family is she, 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 she likes to stay fit so uh, she, she trains quite a bit also she likes to run and yeah to be in the gym and she's also glad to be outdoors so yeah i think it's a really good match what's the best thing about her her stronger sides where maybe i am not so strong so she's uh good to have everything in order it always is clean and nice in the apartment and uh it takes big responsibility in the house with both washing clothes and washing the house. And um, she's always not so far away with a big smile on her face. And yeah, she is perfect. So you perfectly complement each other. <laughs> yeah, we, we complement each other quite uh, good. I think she's <laughs> at least that's what we tell each other. You mentioned school. What are you studying? When are you going to graduate and so forth? Yeah, I'm in the fourth year of the medical school. And in Norway, the medical school is six years. So I was studying 100% up till this Christmas for the fourth year. And then I have uh, one year off now in 2021. And then I will start going full on school again from January because the f in the fourth year we have two exams so I took one of the exams to Christmas and then it's one for the summer but I have to wait one year now since I have uh, taken one year off so I will finish my fourth year next June and then I have two years left and we will see uh, I think at least now that uh, I maybe will finish off my skiing career before I finish off the the medical school. So, 
Yeah, that's how it is right now. And then what about your girlfriend? What is she studying? Yeah, she is studying to become a nurse. So she's starting on her third and last year now. So both of you are in the medical field? Yeah, we are. So uh, she comes from a really medical family, I have to say. And uh, not me so much, but yeah, she, we are both into helping people, I guess, at least in the theory. So, yeah, that's good. Good, good. A couple of uh, trivial things before we uh, wrap up. Uh, music. I know that you like music, but you have told me uh, before that you don't actually listen to music when you train. Has that changed? Was that still the case? Ah, uh, It's uh, still the case, I would say. Uh, maybe... Yeah, I can't remember last time I listened to music when training. Uh, it can happen indoors sometimes running or if I have like 4 hours indoors on the treadmill, I can I tend to listen to maybe a podcast or something, but usually I don't listen to music when I train. But when you do listen to to music, uh, are there any bands, artists that you appreciate or admire? I, I'm not the biggest fan of only one genre. I I like I like music, but I don't really sit down with this big, massive, expensive uh, audio system around me and just listen to music. I. I have this playlist on Spotify I use with, yeah, it's quite normal things. And um, I listen to music uh, usually after the first first workout of the day and when I go to take a rest or a quick power nap for an hour or so. Then I, then I listen to this uh, standard music, but uh, it can vary a lot from everything from ABBA to Dire Straits to... Avicii to Metallica so it's uh, it's quite a lot and then you mentioned Netflix I know that you're not really craving for for streaming streaming services and the, the shows that they have on those but are there any shows movies that you like or you would like to tell us about ah uh, yeah I've seen quite much Peaky Blinders in the past and uh, good shows good shows yeah yeah both of them for sure yeah both of them for sure so but my I guess guilty pleasure on the internet side is uh, YouTube I tend to spend quite a lot of time there when we're out traveling or on training camps because when on training camps the days are really like just laying in the bed the whole time when you're not training and then then I I, I love YouTube I have to admit so I'm a lot of time I spend there like watching silly videos or uh, YouTubers or yeah like maybe a lot of talent shows I'm a big fan of talent even if yeah it could be singing or magic or dancing and so things and then of course a lot of sports stuff as well food and nutrition is always important for athletes but how do you stuff yourself <laughs> what do you eat <laughs> ah 
now being a little bit older I think uh, in the summertime I tend to eat whatever I want when I want it I think the most important thing is to be sure that you're getting enough uh, calories it doesn't matter that much if it's from perfect meat or from vegetables or if it's from a chocolate or ice cream uh, I like to just eat what I want and usually I'm a little bit heavier in the summer winter than yeah summertime at least than I'm in the winter and when we're getting close to Marcelonga I, I cut the crap I like to say or at least I try to try to be a little bit more aware of what I'm putting inside my body, uh, cutting out the things I don't need, so not eating. But because like now I think I eat something, let's say unhealthy every day, or yeah, maybe ice cream or some cinnamon rolls or chocolate or just candy king. But when we're approaching the season, I need to cut that out and just eat. I cut the crap and just eat normal food. And when I do that, I tend to get where I want on the body aspects of things. So now we've been talking about uh, training you as a person, your team and skiing and so forth. Pretty much covered uh, all areas. But is there something that none of us really know about you? Uh, <laughs> I have this, let's say, cardinal sign of when I'm, when I've gotten too drunk, and that's when I do the snake on the dance floor. <laughs> then it's time for me to go home. <laughs> so when I start doing the snake, I know that uh, the alcohol levels in my blood are, yeah. They don't need to get any higher, let's say. <laughs> Good. As a last thing, last question. You've achieved so much. Two-time champion, 12 um, victories, so many podium places. Is there anything left for you to achieve? Not just in skiing, but generally speaking. Uh, in skiing, I always thought I would maybe have uh, one more Baselope than I've done, but it's extremely difficult and I have so many things just have to work out the last six months turning up to the leading up to the race and on the race and I would really like to win the Vasilop a few more times and I believe if my body is at 100% which is not the case usually because it's really hard uh, I have the possibility to do that and uh, I would also like to win the Marcelo Longa because that's a huge race and I only got in second. Uh, that's the main objectives. Uh, but in general, I just want to be stronger than I've been before, and that that could be running under fifty minutes on a mountain race here in Alta, which I run every year, or it could be running under fifteen minutes on a flat course since the terrain here in Alta which is always the goal every year which I have not succeeded yet so or do like that or that time in the ski or, or something like that but I definitely feel that I have a lot left to to achieve in the sporting world and hopefully I can I can get 
my body in that condition again to to achieve those goals. We'll see if that happens. But thank you very much, Andreas Nigord. Good luck with all your goals and next season. I know you'll be strong come the winter 2020. Thank you very much once again. Thank you. And you guys out there, as always, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast, Usha Tulebi. And as always, I urge you to stay tuned for more to come. Bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.